we on? Are we really on? Yeah. Nice fade. And, <laughs> and the podcast will begin in five, four, three, two, one. What's up, Mark? What's going on? How you doing? <laughs> That's the script. There it is. Thanks for being here. Now we're going to solve the world's yes, problems. Yes, we're going to solve the world. Oh, my God. Uh, first, thank you for, thank you very much for being here. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Saw your um, social media presence, and I was like, you're the guy. You're the guy. <laughs> you're the guy you're that the saw guy. it. Yeah. A stalker. <laughs> stalker. No, but, but it's really, it's really um, very, very, how do I say it? Very exciting to, very exciting to have a drummer. In the studio. Not that I haven't had a lot of drummers in the studio. I mean, I'm kind of biased toward drummers. You're a drummer. I'm a drummer. Right. How but, many, so you don't have drummers typically? Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. Are we know. that boring? That <laughs> no, 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 no. We're an I interesting think, breed, aren't we? I think drummers are very exciting to have in the studio. But you specifically, because not only are you a drummer, you're also a producer. I've been known to produce. There you go. <laughs> so let's start. In, from the beginning, when I say from the beginning, what made you play the drums? Oh, man. Well, I started very early. Um, my parents uh, used to go to dances mm. a lot. They still do, actually. And, um, you know, I was, I was a little guy. Where, 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 where is home? Is it uh, home, is, home is Michigan. Michigan. Home was Michigan. Oh, wow. Uh, I grew up just outside of Detroit. Ah. Uh. And, um, yeah, my, my dad, uh, uh, big Polish family. Yeah. Uh, he was born and raised in Poland and came to, uh, the States in the early sixties for. So your first generation. Yeah, I am. Mm. Like my kids. So I'd like to say he came over on the boat, you know, yeah. but he, he flew. So fresh off the Boeing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he flew in and, uh, looking for, you know, bigger and better opportunities. Right. And of course, uh, Detroit's auto industry, yeah. you know, was, was booming back then still is. Um, but, uh, yeah, set up shop in, you know, in the suburbs of Detroit and, um, you know, my, my sister came along and then I came along and, um, they liked going to dances and, you know, they had to drag us kids along. Um, didn't have to, but when you say did. dances, like ballroom dancing, kind of, you know, Polish family. So it was yeah, like, oh, it was polkas. Yeah. Polkas. And, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It's very, uh, oh celebratory God. and happy yes, music. Yes. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, I'm playing dark wave and, and electronic. Polka like, would be like two, four. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the story is that, that, you know, they like dancing and, you know, uh, having their three-year-old child sitting mm. at the table by himself was, you know, not really a good option in that environment. So I ended up, I don't know if they, they brought me to that position or if I gravitated towards it, but I was positioned behind the band wow. while they were out dancing. And I had full view of, you know, everybody, the drummer, the drummer and everybody, else. the drummer yeah. was what I was, I was like, look at what's going on here. Like right. this guy is controlling the, everything. The, the beat. Yeah, yeah. I was just entranced by it. And, and, uh, you know, to me, um, you know, the way it, it, it felt oh, yeah. and what was going on on the dance floor all came from this person sitting at these, these wait, wait, you, were, you were three, I was three years old. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, you go to enough of those things. It was like all summer long, wow. it was parish, you know, festivals and, you know, things of that nature. And, 
uh, you know, eventually these guys would turn around and see me, you know, keeping yeah. the beat on my lap. And, and, you know, I, I still can remember vividly the first time the guy turned around and gave me a pair of drumsticks at the end of the night. And I was just like, I was running around with these drumsticks, just like showing everybody that, you know, I yep. drumsticks. And yep. then of course I go home and I'm beating the hell out everything. of everything around the house. And, uh, so, you know, just to, to, um, you know, keep the, the pots and pans and furniture intact. I was, you know, I was given a drum set, probably like the Toys R Us piece of crap, you know, so paper heads and how, how, okay. I grew up in the Philippines and mm-hmm. in the Philippines, there were houses, but if you lived in the city, you're in an apartment. Mm. In Detroit, growing up, mm-hmm. were you in a house? We were in a house. We were in the, in the about probably a good 30 minutes outside of the city. Okay. And outside of the city of Detroit is farmland for miles. Right. So, I so you, can make, you can make noise. Okay, we're real Detroit. Yeah, I was surrounded by cornfields mm. and soybean fields and cows and chickens and, <laughs> and uh, a long way from L.A., that's for damn Okay. Sure. Yeah, so, uh, but we didn't, you know, and basements are very popular in the Midwest, but we right. didn't have a basement. We had just a, a ranch-style uh, house. Uh, so my bedroom was where my drums were. Where your drums and were. My, my poor dad, you know, he, he worked in uh you know the factories yeah. he worked building cars building transmissions <gasps> noisy for GM. already and you know waking up at you yeah. know six in the five in the morning four in the morning whatever going to work all day and then coming home and listening to me beat the hell out of these drums i i, I wouldn't wish that on any parent but they let me do that because they saw that that i was interested and nice. uh you know, hats off to them for that because not a lot of parents want their kids to and be they were, so yeah, Exactly, right? So your parents were very encouraging. <clears throat> they were. And, and, and encouraging, you know, um, I'm, I'm the only musician in the family tree mm. that I know of. Um, so, you know, they're scratching their heads. I mean, they liked music, obviously, because right, they were dancing right. and, and doing the whole thing. Um, and Sunday mornings, you know, there'd be records being played, you know, before church yeah. and, and, uh, it could be anything from Polish music. To, I remember there was, there was a lot of ABBA being played so, and, 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 and it was disco the, the grooves Calypso, yeah. and, and it was just awesome <laughs> because queen. it's like, where the hell did, why did dad play so much ABBA? But now I'm just like yes. closet ABBA fan, not so much closet anymore, I obviously, know. but, uh, right? loved that stuff yes. because all of it had the common denominator of groove. Yes. There was, there was danceable yes. beats happening yes. and I loved being a part of that. So I would literally just play my drums along to these cassettes, these records, um, and, uh, you know, the, the kit that I got when I was three years old quickly got demolished because I'm, I'm of playing, course. you know, I'm beating the hell out of these paper heads and they're, you know, the sticks are going right through them. Uh, so I think I got another kit when I was five and it was like a step up, but not quite anything to write home about. Um, and, uh, I remember you never stopped, huh? Three. No, onwards. there was, I remember there was a time between the second and third drum kit. It felt like when you're a kid, everything feels yes. long, like eternity, right? Uh, and I remember there was a, a a very long period of time where I didn't have a drum kit because I beat the hell out of these two right. Toys R Us style right, yeah, kits. Yeah. And then my parents were like, okay, you know, for whatever reason, there was just no drum kit. And I was just like, I would be on the corner of my bed and I'd set up the pillows, the round pillows uh-huh. in a certain way. And I'd, I'd crank up the boom box and I'm just like doing the thing. And I remember my, I would, I looked over one, one day and my dad was peeking in, in, in the door and uh, seeing this and he's like, Oh, 
God, okay. No formal lessons yet at this time. <laughs> Not at that point, no, okay. but I was asking. Uh, I knew from age three to uh, at that time, it was probably like seven, eight years yeah. old. I had been just playing along with the cassettes and records. And in my sister being a little older, right. she was bringing home like the pop music of the day. There you go. Which was this in the 80s? This was in the 80s. Yeah. Okay. So, I so Duran Duran kind of? How did you know? Is it, is it the hair? Is it the eyeliner? No, I don't no. know. <laughs> like Duran Duran we talk. I am talk, such a Duranny. Duran, me too. Oh, man. Me too. I, I, I'm still. Huge, Roger huge Taylor. Duran. That's why my first. Roger was my first big my, idol, man. You know what? Like, I, I still have my Tama kit because of Roger Taylor. I, the Tama kit came later. Okay. <laughs> um, I had to foot some of the bill for that. Yeah. Uh, and that was a good lesson to be learned. Um, but no, somewhere, you know, between like, you know, there was that, that time where I didn't have a drum kit and, and I was asking, I'm like, there's a right way to do this. Right. And I want to know what it is. So, wow. you know, I was asking for lessons and I was probably seven, eight years old. And, um, for my ninth birthday, uh, my dad comes in, you know, with the bass drum, oh. like just, it, it was great. It was, I'll never forget it. I'm sitting at the table, the cakes there and I'm like, cool, you know, and, and my dad comes in beating this drum, I'm like, ah. you know, a drum kit. And it was, a, you know, I, I remember it was a, the brand was <coughs> TKO percussion. TKO. And I don't know if that still is a thing, but man, was that thing just, it, it was, it was a step up. I'll yeah, say that. Definitely from the Toys R Us, right? And it was a, it was a, it was a kick snare, one rack Tom, one floor Tom, very ringo. Full size? You know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it was black. Oh. Just like Rogers. Yes, just like know? Rogers. Yeah. And uh, I was just on cloud nine. Mm. Had one crash cymbal mounted on the kick drum. And um, yeah, I oh asked, you know, we got, we got me some, some lessons uh, at Ray's Music in Monroe, Michigan. Shout out. Are they still yeah, around? No, heck no. Oh, no. Shoot. That place had dust on the equipment like wow. back then. Wow. You know, so wow. I don't know how they survived, but um <clears throat> Um, I went and, and took lessons from a guy named, I, I think his name was Gary, Gary Griffith, okay. who I've since tried to track down, but with no luck, uh, because that teacher was probably, I mean, my first and last private instructor had the most influence on me. Okay. That guy, yeah. you know, he taught me how to read. Really? And taught me the you know the rudiments, rudiments and 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 all the stuff. And I remember spending a long time on the snare drum. I'm sitting at this drum kit in this this lesson room, you know. And he's like, "No, we're on the snare drum. Wow. We're on the snare drum for a long time." And that's how I treat my students now too. It's like, don't look at the other stuff. We're <laughs> dealing with that centerpiece right there. It's the snare drum. <clears throat> and uh, I remember just you know being. You know, I was impatient, just like now. I'm, uh-huh. I'm uh, you know, I want everything now, and and uh, but I, I was just like, okay, this is what we're doing, and I just remember him saying, day one, it's like, all right, 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 left, left, just start out nice and slow, and you know, keep that up for five, ten minutes. I'm like, really? On a metronome? Not yet. Not, met, not a metronome yet. That came okay. a little later, but he just wanted me to to slowly yes. increase the tempo. Mm. And, and that's why a lot of my playing is, is based off that double, double strokes. I do more double strokes than any other drummer I see on a drum kit. And that, that kind of, you know, I do the, the floor Tom on the yeah, left yeah, yeah. and I, I'm very, um, I call it circular, yeah. you know, and I use a lot of doubles and paradiddles and, and your fails like by guys, I'm going to post links in the description so you can watch, uh, Mark's 
drum videos. They're very, very awesome and they're very, very impressive. I'm, I'm very Thank impressed. You. Very impressed. Okay, so Durani Face. <laughs> this is the 80s. Yeah. Did you have a band? Back then, well, you know, I was uh, I was still teetering on the uh, okay. I gotta I gotta play these polkas for dad. You know, right, I can yeah. sit in, then it became I was sitting in with these bands with a, with a, yeah it, that my parents were still going to the same dances. Uh-huh. All the same parish festivals were going on, and uh, now they you're were now epic, you're now man. you're looking forward to kid, exactly. They seemed like they they were just like rock and roll concerts, you know. <laughs> Um, people went nuts for the stuff and there was a big following. There was a big, like, you know, St. Charles festival, St. Patrick's festival, yes. St. You know, whatever, Everybody. every saint had a festival uh. and it was a thing. And, and eventually I started, you know, I was the token, you know, like kids sitting in with the, the, band, with the band and I was the hit of the night because like, who is this little, you know, nine, 10 year old kid? That's that's going up there and 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 rocking out on these polkas. Imagine <laughs> this hilarious. was the '80s, no? This was the '80s. Pope John Paul was pope, and I went to see Pope John Paul really? at the Pontiac Silverdome. He had a, one of the biggest. I think it was probably the record-setting like mass. Like this place was giant. It's where the Lions played wow. and uh, you know football and. And uh, we went to Pope John Paul's mass. I there. got to see him, but he was this <laughs> small. He when was. he visited the Philippines, like this small. But, ah. but Polish Pope, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it, was, it yeah. was a big thing. So I kept up on the polkas. I, I was sitting in with these bands. But then when I'd, I'd be stealing my sister's cassettes of Duran and I'd be playing. I remember for um, show and tell in second grade. <laughs> I brought in the uh, Duran Duran Arena album. Oh, my God. Because I had just got it for my birthday yes, yes, or yes. Christmas or whatever. Please, please and, tell me now. And, and I'm just like in front of the class giving this presentation <laughs> on who the guys in the band were. <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like I was a weird kid, man. Like, you know, I was every so mus- into Every it. musician is a weird kid. Yes. Right? We are a Proud. community of Proud. strange. Yes, yes, yes. My God. <laughs> so this went on. And this was this went this went on all the way to high school. You were known as the drummer in high school. I, yeah, that was that's been my identity for my entire existence is Mark the drummer. You know, and and in the eighties, it was it was an interesting time to grow up because yes. the the video revolution was happening. MTV was happening. I didn't. I lived in such a rural area that I didn't get cable, but I had friends that had mm. cable, so I would go over to their house and like watch these videos, and I'm like. What planet are these people from? Like you know, Talking Heads and and Duran yeah. and um, Talk 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 Talk. Oh man, oh my Mark God, just yeah. passed away. Yes. Mark I, I know, passed right? Away recently. Um and uh, you know, flock of seagulls and like the all psychedelic first, all that yeah. stuff. And they and I I just loved this world that they created yes. by way of video the new romantic just, yeah the new romantic scene mm. even the um you know the the, the hair metal stuff yeah. was, was big uh oh rat, rat and all the stuff Triper, that my parents didn't poison, want me to check uh-huh. out you know it was forbidden and yes. that just made it more interesting <laughs> you know to be honest and um but the video stuff was just like you know it kind of it kind of ruined me a little bit in you know what, what's so nice when you say when you say when you say video um and going to a friend's house to watch music videos. Like, in the Philippines, we had to rent VHS and Betamax mm-hmm. uh, tapes. Remember that, We Mike? did that, too, yeah. You know, like, MTV would be there pirated and, yeah. and yeah, you'd yeah. watch everything. Well, it being that we didn't have MTV at the house, 
the big thing was like, you know, Dick Clark's New yeah, Year's yeah, yeah. Rock and Even. I would have yes. the visa. We got a VCR in nineteen eighty, right? whatever the hell. And, and I would it. just record Ooh. everything that I yeah. you know, dug and interviews with the bands and that's yeah. you know, American Bandstand and, you know, Casey Kasem's yes. top, you know, whatever Sunday afternoon. American like, Top Forty. All that stuff made a yeah. huge impact on me. And I remember talking about VHS tapes. Um, my dad brought home uh, the Sing Blue Silver oh, like documentary oh, of oh, Duran yes, yes. touring the states yes, for the first like yes. mega tour. Yes, where I remember Coca Cola was. The I remember sponsor. where, where uh, Roger Taylor would show his finger, his blisters, the, the blisters. All yeah, over. <laughs> I memorized that damn. Like I watched yes. that video so much, and that's what I mean by it. Kind of ruined me because it Why? set the standard really high uh, for what I. I'm like, I see these guys on stage. And in these videos, right. and, and, you know, good looking British cats yes. dressed, you know, in, in really peculiar, but awesome, you know, right. uh, Anthony Price suits that yes. were very flamboyant, but, you know, and they've got the makeup and they've got the hair, but they also had the girls. Yes. Like, yes. Top shelf, like supermodel women yep. are, and the, the, you know, the, the people come Androgynous to the looking. But they had the girls. And I saw, you know, once again, my sister being older, she'd have her friends over and they'd all be watching. The, I'm like looking at the reaction of the, the, the ladies. And I'm like, this is what I want to do with my life. <laughs> this is it. So at a very young age, I had very, very big aspirations for. What was for, your fashion? Um, well, you know what? I admired it, but I didn't know how to dress yet. Wow. Okay. I, I had okay. no idea until way later. And we'll, we'll get it's to that. It's so weird because... Um, <laughs> I didn't know where to get those clothes. Me too. Like, where the hell right? do you come up with this So stuff? the Philippines is a humid um, country. It's like, uh, it's like <laughs> Miami, but yeah. times two or three. Mm-hmm. Oh, There's gosh. humidity. But I would wear a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> you too. Like Spando Ballet yeah, yes, yes, at, at, the, yes, at, at yes. Live Aid. Like, why are you wearing that in this weather? But it's so cool. Yes. Like, I would wear a scarf and my, my dad would be like, really? Oh, dad, really? dad was really scratching his head. I'm like into Prince and he's like, oh, man. Yeah. What kind of kid are we oh, raising Oh, my God. Here? Like, but I was into God John Keeble of, uh, of Spando Ballet and um, Roger oh, Taylor. Oh, man, Durant. we were speaking the same language here. This is fun. <laughs> I like this. Nice. Yeah. And, and then, so, okay. Where does U2 come in? Or did it even come into your life? U2, the yeah, band? Yeah. U2? Oh, gosh, yeah. Larry Mullen Jr. has the best posture at the drum kit yes. of all drummers. Yes. <laughs> and now he has a, he has a back yeah, press, by the way. he's got the back. You know, you get a little tired. But, uh-huh. um, no, is that, is that why you have the, the floor tom on the left that had nothing to do with Larry Mullen? The floor tom on the left has to do with Neil Peart. Okay. Yeah, and that came later. That came um, Roll the Bones era, 1991. Really? Um, so Roll the Bones before Moving Pictures, huh? Well, he didn't do the left floor, Tom, until that right. album. No, but but when when you got into Rush, was it... I got into Rush... During um, Roll the Bones already? You know, my, my if my sister does eventually see and hear this, she's going to be really <laughs> pleased with all the props that I've given her because she was in high school and she... Um, I think she was on the Pom Pom Squad or whatever, mm. close to the the guys and girls in the band. Right. And uh, her friends would come over, and when this one gentleman in particular, he was a trombone player. Um, he he saw that I had a drum kit, and all her friends would come over. And they're like, oh, "I'll play drums," and I'd play, and they'd be like, "Holy shit, this kid's good," you know. And uh, this this trombone player, he's like, "You ever hear the band Rush?" I'm like, "No, I've never heard of them." Um, and he's like, "You might want to check out this drummer." 
And the next time he comes over, he he hands me this cassette, and he's like, "You can borrow this. I want it back. There you you go. can borrow this, but uh, it's queued up. So pop it mm. in on side A and and check this out. Just hit play and listen. And it was queued up to the drum solo of YYZ. There you go on exit stage left. Okay. Oh, okay. And I just I was so dumbfounded that anything can be done like that. Wow. Like Neil. Yes. Uh, just and God bless him. He I just know. passed away recently and I'm crushed. I, I'm I'm still in kind of denial and just kind Me of too. you know, we'll we'll get to that too. But uh, um I was was pretty hooked and I remember for the next you know, I think I was probably in sixth or seventh grade at that point. And I remember going to the music store the record store and like Okay, there's a Rush record that I don't have. Mm. And every time I would go to the record store, there'd be a new... Like, I didn't know their, their history. Yeah, the lot. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. had no internet. You had yes, no way yes, of, yes. like, who are these guys? And every record was that I kept on buying was from a different time period in their career. So, yeah. like, is this the same band? I bought Hold Your Fire, <laughs> and then I bought, like, the Fly By Night album. Oh, and I'm like, oh. what the hell it's is like going night and day, on? yeah. So, but I just, I was infatuated and I had to collect, I was just collecting them all. Were you and able to do that? I, I sat there and as I went into my high school years, I spent most of my high school years learning every wow. single Rush song. Wow. And which meant that I had to buy yeah. a lot of gear <laughs> to be able to pull this stuff off. Let me ask you, because uh, um, my first exposure to Rush was moving pictures mm. and, um, I was so in awe. Like, let's start with Tom Sawyer yeah. and all that stuff. It was my first exposure to Odd Time. Odd Time. <laughs> Remember, coming from Duran Duran, coming from Modern English. I know. Coming I from know. YouTube, all of a sudden, I'm now listening to this. My bandmates, unfortunately for me, I was in a band that wasn't capable of going that direction. Yeah, not to, yeah. You know? <laughs> I can relate to that. But my, my question to you, and I'm, I'm intrigued because... I couldn't, I couldn't shadow play Neil Peart mm. just because I don't know the parts by heart because I mm. never really went deep into it. But when you were practicing it, how were you able to dissect that? Man, very carefully. I mean, it, as far as I, I remember the first time. So I had that, that Exit Stage Left yes. cassette. So there was a lot of stuff from a lot of different records. It was right. a live album. Uh, and then, um, my sister's boyfriend gave me, he's like, here, here's grace under pressure. I got mm, yeah. this from like whatever. And I don't want it. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm listening you. to it and I'm listening to a song called kid gloves. And I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four. I'm just, kind of, I'm like, what are they doing here? This is okay. not, you know, common time. Yes. This is not four, four. Yes. And I was uh, a little confused, but intrigued. Mm. And uh, that was the first song that I sat mm. down and played on the drum kit to, to understand what was going on. I don't know if I was counting it out or just feeling my way through. Yeah, let's, let's, I, I, I want to I know just because there are people, if this is a drum conversation, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there are drummers wanting to find out what's the quickest way to dissect that. Well, I, I just listened over and over. There was a lot of starting and stopping right. of the cassette. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course, um, without going into deep, um, deep, talk, deep talk, there are time permutations. And when you, when you, mute, when you, when you uh, modulate a time, right, mm -hmm. it's like putting a triplet onto a 4-4 four, four thing or putting a 4-4 four, four beat into a 6-8 
feel. Mm-hmm. That's kind of confusing already to a lot of drummers. They might count it differently and all that. Well, yeah, you but can, when, we can get into like but you when know, you subdividing. Were, exactly, but the, when you were starting, talk to um, the newbies. Yeah. What, what should they do in terms of dissecting odd time you know i took the long way around okay i didn't you know i wasn't even though i had been taking lessons since age nine i didn't consider myself a strong reader Mm. and even through high school being in marching band and jazz band and orchestral band, any band that i could get into i still it, it was a it was a small town which meant the school was very small and, you know, there wasn't, uh, um, it was a small band, so we could get away, away with a lot, you know? Right. So my reading chops weren't that great. And, you know, I was playing these songs along with records, so I was just by feel go. and by ear, and it wasn't till, like, I wasn't even counting these things out. I just would hear these odd time signatures and figure it out some way, somehow, and I would do things wrong, and, and the bands, you know, on, in my ears, like, already to the next measure. I'm like, okay, I screwed that up. So uh, let's go back and figure yes. out where this thing ends. And that was really the long way around. Because later on, when I started understanding time signatures better mm-hmm. and understanding, um, you know, just what's going on musically, and, and I, I think eventually I did get a, a rush you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the, book, the that, book that charted out Neil's drum parts. I was like, holy crap, that's was that what I'm the playing? plus one? <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, yeah, I still have that book and it's got the, you know, the, the CD. The, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, really kind of took the long way around, but I, I managed and it was, it was more difficult getting the gear to be able to do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because exactly. I was, you, I was, wow. I wanted to make it authentic. So I needed the six, eight, 10, 12, 13, 14, Wait, So 16. you really went all the way for I that. I had the orchestra bells to be able the, to yeah, play. The mallets. Yeah. Uh-huh. The spirit of radio. And, uh-huh. and you know, I had to have all that stuff. Temple blocks, the cowbells in the same spot, everything, chime trees everywhere. And, and it was just, what, what did your dad say? Were you still at home? I was still at, I was in high school and for in your every, room. well, we moved to a different house okay. my freshman year. Thank God, because we got this big basement. And, now with a basement. Oh, it was so great because I had more space. And wait, wait, wait. What, what, what made you think the basement was yours? Yo, you just oh, assumed. When we were shopping assumed, for houses. Oh. That was kind of a, you know, we need to get this kid in, in the basement. Okay. And uh, yeah, it just made sense. So that okay. was that was high on the priority list of, of what so we were. So the drums for. went to the basement. Drums went to the basement, and of course, my dad's bar that he built was uh, on the other side there. So we shared the basement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time down there. I was I was just a, a prog rock dork in high so school. So from from New Romantics, yeah, <laughs> synth pop, synth pop to. To prog rock. To prog rock, playing all the Rush stuff, all the Yes stuff, and then Dream Theater eventually came, came along yeah. and was so mathematical and, and like, yeah, that made my head so spin. Bill Bruford, Mike Portnoy. Mike Portnoy's, uh, you know, Images and Words oh, album, yeah. you know, yeah. Pull Me Under. <laughs> yeah, I heard that on the radio of all places. Right? Oh. They only played it like twice on the radio, and I was one of the people that heard it one day. I was like, who is this band? And, um, yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I didn't get laid a lot in high school, but I sure learned a lot of Rush you know, songs. I was, was going to ask you for, because if, if it's, it's, it's very, like. I had the mullet. I was just so, I had no style whatsoever. 
I was roughed up in school a lot because I was the band nerd and I had a rough go, but I had a different life outside. Here, going back to your comment about like you couldn't find the caliber of musicians yes. in your age group yes. to do what you were capable yeah. of doing. So once again, you know, my sister's boyfriend was a DJ and he brought me to um, school dances and there was a band playing the, the high school, the cool high school oh. band kids, you know, in the rock band. And uh, so he was DJing, and then they played a set of music. Wait, what year? In the early nineties? Uh, yeah, this was probably nineties. So, okay, so early uh, early nineties would be late eighties, early nineties. That would be Bon Jovi. Yeah, there was some of that stuff going on. I mean, I can't the the, the band that was playing that night. They were covering like ACDC. ACDC. Okay, so hard and, rock. Yeah, okay. hard rock. Typical classic hard rock. And somehow, some way, I ended up sitting in. You nice, know, and nice. and so that kind of got me into the older kids mm. crowd. And I started playing with you know the eighteen year olds when I was like in eighth grade. Okay. And then that turned into when I was in high school. I started playing guys that were like 24, college, yeah. 28, like well out of college. Right. They probably didn't go to college, let's be honest. And, uh, you know, they were the long hair, you know, yeah, like yeah. they were playing Motley Crue stuff. And, and uh, I had my first studio experience at age 14. You know, this you know? is so, this is so um, re- uh, revealing in, in a way because you started out pop, but Rush actually uh, took you took you on a different <laughs> on a different yeah, uh, trajectory, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, like from New Romantics, if prog rock did not come into the picture, you'd probably be playing behind the Backstreet Boys, or <laughs> maybe. And right? I, I would take that gig today. Uh, me, me too. Me too. <laughs> but, but as a drummer, I mean, that that was a nice trajectory. Right? It was. It was a really dramatic turn of course you know because from a, there and then you go back but you never went pop you went horror classic rock classic yeah, rock i liked classic rock i liked journey and i liked i liked mm. a lot of different stuff yeah. i mean I, I i i liked the pop you know everything that was coming from england i loved me too but i also loved a lot of the rock stuff that yes. was happening in the states and then yeah, I got into to rush for. I mean, I, it was probably a good solid three years of just like I didn't listen to anything other than Rush because I, it took me. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of material kit, no, exactly, and, and I made it like a goal to learn. Like, at the time, I think it was 147 Rush songs wow. that I knew. You know, looking back, I don't know that I'd love to hear a recording of like how I pulled it off. Maybe I wasn't as good as I thought. Who knows? But I was, you know. Whatever it was, I mean, even half of it was training. Even even a quarter of who Neil Peart is is good enough for any other drummer. Right, to be. and it, it, it I about, learned yeah. a lot yeah. from you know from a composition standpoint of mm-hmm. like not only how to remember parts in a twenty minute song like right. Hemispheres or or twenty one twelve in its entirety or these right. long pieces where it really taught me how to take um, a drum part. You know, aside from the the complex, you know, time signature stuff, even taking the simplest things like calling back to a drum fill that happened in the first verse, but now it's in the second verse, and you just subdivide it a little differently on the drum kit. That's what I got from Neil. It was the subtleties of like how to tell a story in your drum part. Yes. And, and, and like the throwback to a fill that happened earlier in the song, but playing it slightly different. The rhythm is the same, but you're playing it on different, yeah. like, instead of a splash symbol, it would be on a china to make it bigger. Like when he, what he does on, like what, what he does in Spirit of Radio. The sticking, 
Yeah. It's pretty That's much a great example because exactly. it's less complex, mm. but it's still a longer piece. Yeah. Um, and it takes you on all different kind of, you know, places, but um, yeah, there's a lot of that in that song right? where, you know, oh, that's reminiscent of that drum right? fill that he did earlier, but, you know. Different voice. Different voicings yeah. on the kit, and I, it just, I paid attention to those nuances, and it really taught me, you can, it, it, it's just not about, you know, you can play a part like a Charlie Watts, you know, Rolling Stone song and be fine, but... There's this intellectual side of yeah. like really, maybe nobody's noticing this stuff, but I do. But you know so, what's so nice? But you know what's you so know? nice with your story? Um, your first teacher made you focus on the snare. Mm-hmm. Don't look at the other pieces. Yeah, and eventually we got to it. But, right, right, right. But it was so important to get the technique and the reading stuff. And honestly, like you know, okay, fast forward like three or four kind of useless instructors in Ooh. there. And then uh, I met a guy named Steve Whitford uh, in Monroe, Michigan, that that taught me about the hands uh, uh, and using these the back three fingers yeah. to, to... For the balance. Oh, man. Balance point. Yes. And Full crew. things like that yeah. that I still use in my teaching today and that I still, you know, my warm-ups are, you know, just straight 16th right, notes, right. one-handed and then second-handed. It's... <laughs> All of that's based who, on that that sticking technique. Who taught um, Who taught Neil Peart um, and Steve Smith? The oh, whole, the traditional right phase that he went right? through. Right, I mean, that they, was Freddie Gruber. Freddie Gruber. Yeah. Freddie Gruber. Yeah. Where in everything some say they, they that he ruined Neil, oh, but where everything know, should be ergonomically. Uh, yeah, and then he had the waterfall yeah, toms yeah. and so stuff. Just, this is natural. I remember that tour. I remember seeing them. I was front row for that tour. I think it might have been Roll the Bones or maybe Counterparts somewhere along the lines of early 90s uh, when he was doing that. And, you know, I admire anybody that can play for that long of time and be considered one of the best yes. drummers in the, on the planet and say, you know what, I need to go back to school. Right. And, and expand. Like, I've been doing this. And actually... You know, be successful changing it and still pulling everything off. Right. And all yeah. that. Okay. And there were certain things that I was just like, ah, and, and he eventually went back, went <laughs> right back to his comfort zone. Um, but you know, he, he I'm, I'm sure that, uh, and, and you hear it in his interviews about that. And he also took lessons from Peter Erskine, which yeah. is a lesser known, uh, fact, but, uh, you know, and that's the thing. Like when I moved to LA, I took lessons again. Okay, you let's know? talk. I want to. really fast forward. But, but, a lot but of stuff before before we come to LA, mm-hmm. <laughs> you were you were in the Midwest. Yeah, I was in the Philippines. You mm-hmm. were like three thousand miles away from LA. I was seven thousand miles away from LA. <laughs> yeah. What was it like setting up your um, Neil Peart replica in the basement? <laughs> what was going on through Mark Damien's mind in terms of? I'm going to conquer the world. Or did it ever occur to you? Or was it just, uh, nope, this is it, just the basement? No, no I, I, like I said earlier, I had aspirations from age probably eight or nine. That What, I, were, the, I, what were those aspirations? Well, I wanted to, to be as, as big as possible. I wanted to tour the world. I wanted to see stuff. Mm. I wanted uh, people to be interested in my playing and right. my musical contribution it was never, I want fame and fortune, but I wanted to be big. Right. You know, I wanted that lifestyle and uh, I loved everything about music. Now, wait, you know? did you sit your mom? Wrong and, or right. <laughs> right? Did you sit your mom and dad down and say, listen, um, 
when I started playing with the guys when I was in eighth grade going into high school and I'm playing with guys that were in their twenties, they got a little worried Ah. because these guys were like, Hey, we've got this gig at this Mm. bar in downtown Detroit. And you know, this was a time where, and, and I can't imagine that this is legal today, but um, I remember getting a work permit from school to be able to, to go be, into okay. bars and play. Dennis Clubs. Chambers did that with his mom. It, well, yeah. Dennis Chambers is even older than me, right? right. So when he, when he was a young kid. That yeah. was possible. I can't, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, today's world is a little different. Uh, Bruno and, Mars did that, by the way, in Hawaii. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's still, possible, yeah. you know, he's a young cat. So uh-huh. um, it's still possible then. Um, but you got a work permit, huh? I got a work permit to work in, 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 in establishments that wow. I had no business being in as wow. a 14, 15-year-old kid. So after the gig, you had to leave? You had to go Probably, back to the green room? You, know, uh, you can't hang out with where there is alcohol? I, and honestly, honestly, my recollection of playing those bars, they were pretty empty. <laughs> It was a cool experience because it was like, oh you know, hey, I'm playing bars, but we didn't have any draw, you know, yeah. we were just starting out, you know, even though these guys were in their 20s. Maybe they had some friends come in, but we weren't playing to packed houses by but, any means. But your mom and dad sat you down. Oh, they were probably freaking out. What was you know? the conversation like? Um, You know, I think the conversation happened more between them and the musicians you that, were that, that wanted, you know, me to play with them at these places i was just like what's the big deal i i want to do this this is my thing i'm not going to get into any trouble you know Mm. now (laughs) was college was college even on your mind yes did you finish college no Mm. it was just on your mind um i i going back to this rural area of michigan that i was in i was in a small high school and uh you know your junior year is when they start you know your counselors start talking to you about exactly, yeah. your future yes and i'm like oh crap you know <sighs> i just i just want to be a rock star you did know? you say that well i mean to myself oh. but you know to to go the right route i was like yeah i want a career in music so how do i do that okay and they're like uh, like teaching or i'm like Ooh. no 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 Ugh. no 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 that's where you go when you fail. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, but uh, I wanted a career in music, and I didn't, you know, a lot of them just thought, okay, well, you go to uh, Eastern Michigan or you go to, you know, somewhere around here and you get a degree, you know. So no one whether, said L.A., huh? They, you know, I I had L.A. on the mind okay. for a while, you know. I knew what L.A. was all about. When At least were, I thought I did. So when you, were, when you were talking <laughs> about no this. I had no idea. When you, when you had this on your mind, junior high or whatever, mm-hmm. you were you, you were dating. I was, I was. You were dating somebody, no, no girl involved. Oh, in high school, I had, I had, I had girlfriends. Would you tell school. them that, you know, this is. Oh, a, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 out of here the second I get a chance. My plan mm. in okay, so when the counselors started talking to me about this, they wanted me to go to university and and study, you know, orchestral. I'm like, right. no, 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 no. I want I want you know modern, you know, stuff. And then I heard of this school called Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Uh, oh, so I'm okay. like, that's where I want to go. And they're like, okay, so they, you know, of course, pre-internet, they're, yes. you know, sending away for pamphlets yeah. and, and stuff. And they got all the information, and uh, I brought it home to my parents, and, and God bless them. They're looking at the, the, the amount of money that it costs to go there, number one, and they're like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's do this. Nice. Um, yeah, but you know what? It, it scared the hell out of me. I was, even, even 
you know, uh, being uh, on stage as a young nine, 10 year old, you know, doing the thing all the way through high school, playing these bars, playing these things. I was still a pretty shy, you know, timid mm. cat. You know, I liked being behind my drum yeah. kit, hiding back there. And, and, and I just, and still to this day, I feel like nobody can possibly be paying attention to me back here. So I'm just, I'm okay. <laughs> um, and that's how I get through it because I yeah, have terrible right. anxiety. Issues. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, so, but I was, I was afraid, you know, being from small town, I mean, I, small town to the point where I remember when we got our first traffic light in town, right. it was a Ooh. big deal. This is rural, you know, Michigan. And, um, I got, I got cold feet and I'm like, I stalled it. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll do two years of community college and then go to Berkeley. Cause I was worried about my reading ability mm. or lack thereof. And uh, amongst other, going to a big city like Boston, going to a music, a prestigious music, music school. Who was like going to get the loan? Your parents were going to get the loan, or you were going to get the loan? My parents were good with their money, and, and oh, you know they, oh, they probably yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. stacked it up, you yeah. know. And and eventually, my college money went to buy a second house on the lake <laughs> somewhere. You know, um, God bless you. <laughs> so it all worked out, man. Right. Um, but yeah, I was I was very afraid. I I got really. Um, cold feet about going to the big city and going to a prestigious school like Berkeley. And, and I would, I, I felt inadequate um, because I knew I was a big deal in a small town. Uh, I was the guy in town that, you know, I played, right. I played well, you know, for my age and I was playing with older cats. And, um, and then, you know, by my senior year, Oh, my senior year, I discovered a whole bit. Okay, so we went from Duran to To Prog Rock, Rush, and then I discovered Pink Floyd. Ah, classic rock. And my world changed. Well, specifically So that's where it got dark. Well, that's where it got dark because I started paying attention to lyrics. Yeah. I started paying attention to concept records. Yes, yes. And Roger Waters and his angst and Uh. darkness and, and... you know, probably uh, dabbled in in some mind altering, uh, you know, yeah. things <laughs> that uh, you know some of us do at that age. And um, I decided, uh, and this might have been my way of like my way of justifying not going to Berkeley. I didn't want to uh, conform to such a you know i didn't want to okay. go that route i wanted to be a creative now yeah 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 and it, part of that was true and part of that was me freaking out about you know <laughs> going to the big your city anxiety again. again yeah 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 so i got a full ride music scholarship to monroe community college and the plan was to get an associates there and and move on to berkeley and um uh i got Six months into that school, and I was just, you know, I ended up at the bar playing darts and drinking wow. beer instead of going to class because I chalk it up to instead of going somewhere, I probably should have just sucked it up and went to right, right, some right. school. Eastern Michigan really wanted me, um, and, you know, their professors were coming and seeing my last few concerts at my high school, and they really, you know, the phone was ringing constantly to go to Eastern Michigan. And they told me what my itinerary would be, like all the music classes and all the regular curriculum. And I'm like, when the mm. hell do I have time to do anything? I, like that was not appealing to me at all. And, um, you know, so I opted for the small community college and I just, I felt like I wasn't learning anything and I got really bored really quick. It was like high school all over again. Right. I didn't have a very good experience in high school and this was just a slight level up. The professors weren't, 
you know, so it titillating right. to me. You know, so it wasn't really about um, the challenge. It was about the presentation of the curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, I was excited to take things like psychology, and and I'm like, <sighs> the psychology class was so not what I wanted okay. at all. She's like, everybody take a chapter and do a presentation. She didn't teach the class once. She had a person, you know, okay, you got chapter one, you do a presentation on it, and there's oh. like 30 chapters in the book. So that's the, the whole that's semester, the lazy thing. It was yeah. terrible. Oh it was terrible. God. So I felt it was really easy to justify bowing out of wow. that. So I scrapped that, and then I started just getting hired for gigs. And, and that's what you did. Yeah, and I started, like, I was getting, Like real money. Like, oh, man, you know, ah. $100 gigs, yeah. $150 <laughs> gigs. I'm, I'm doing it, you know. Free drinks. Free drinks. Ah. That was... I wasn't that much of a drinker back then, but uh, it, 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 it certainly felt good yeah. getting compensated yeah. to have fun and play on stage. And, and uh, I was playing rooms and, and, and people were coming out and it was, I'm like, this is, this is cool. I'm doing it. And this so, was building your confidence also. It was building my confidence. And I started teaching around that time too. Okay. My instructor, uh, my private drum instructor, Stephen Whitford, um, he was great. I had told him about a, 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 a high school friend of mine that wanted to take drum lessons. Right. And I said, I'm going to refer you. And he's like, why don't you teach him? I'm like, I didn't even think of that. Like, really? He's like, yeah, you teach him. Isn't that, that's Actually, nice. was a female. You teach her. So uh, I started teaching a little bit in, in high school. And then by the time I was in my early 20s, I was like, I had a handful of students and that is when I started getting really good at reading. Uh, yeah, because of course. now when you're teaching this yes. stuff, you're forced to be able, you have to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't glaze over this stuff and, and play off a of feel. And sometimes anymore. they'll bring a, like I remember bringing a modern drummer transcription mm-hmm. to my teacher going, can you read this for me? Mm-hmm. And, and I was very nice to actually say, can you read this for me? Other kids would say, can you play this for me? Right, right, right. And if the, if the teacher can't play it, it's like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some, there's some interesting stuff in those yes, uh, drummers. Yes. Still, yeah. Yes. Okay. So now, now you're the hot shot <laughs> <laughs> playing gigs. Were you in a permanent band or were you sessioning? I had a band. For- um, yeah. I, going back, I, I had my first studio experience my freshman year. Studio, oh, meaning recording a demo, recording an Before album? We were rec- recording an album. Wow, okay. And, you know, I show up, I'm 14 years old, and, and you know, there's a drum kit there for me, which was awkward. I always like playing my own gear, you know, uh. as we do, you know. And, uh, you know, the, I remember the engineer being like, this is your drummer? <laughs> 14-year-old <laughs> kid walking in. This ought to be interesting. And they fire up this thing called a click track. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, oh, okay. Let's talk. Let's throw the headphones on. And that's what I'm listening to. Now, this was the first exposure I got to the stacking of tracks. Like, right. there was no, you know, I'm the first guy in. Yes. And I'm playing the drums to, I don't even know if we had a scratch. Oh, the bass player played along with me okay. to give me reference right. of where I'm at in the song. Right. And there was a click, so I had to follow this click. And, and now Steve and, never introduced you to the click. We <laughs> we played along with metronomes okay. and stuff, but you know this was different. This was like pressure changes everything. Yes. You know, so yes. whether it's a couple hundred or a couple thousand people in the audience uh, or the red recording light going on, 
that's a different scene. You, know, you can play in your basement. You can play in front of your friends. You can play. You know, I had live uh, experience, but playing in the studio, uh, when that record light goes Wait, on. Time is money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's different. Time is money, too. Uh-huh. People are looking at their watch. And uh, it, for some reason, maybe ignorance was bliss. I, I don't know. I just handled it just fine. I went in. I put the headphones on. And I started to play along with this click, and I got through the take, and I walked back into the control room, and the engineer's like, oh, okay, (laughs) next song. (laughs) So, and I attribute that um, to all those years as a kid playing along with those records. Yes. A lot of those 80s records, you know. They're all metronome. spot on because a lot of them were electronic. Uh, The Lindrums, baby. they were, you know, aside from Duran was real, yes. real drums. But when I was playing along with Prince records, of course. that was programmed stuff. Oh, yeah. Fair when I was playing and... along with Depeche Mode, that yeah. was programmed yes. stuff. So it kind of ingrained this this ability to keep good yep. time to a machine. Yes. Anyway, yeah. there was no push and pull. I uh, learned that way later. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, we, we did this record. You know, fast forward. That band broke up. I... You know, I was pretty uh, devastated by the whole thing because I thought we were on our way. You know, dumb. Hey, no, you know. no, no. But and this was still in Michigan. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't move to LA <laughs> way later. Um, I was way tardy to the party. But <laughs> coming up. But here. why? Why? Why the hold up? I mean. Well, you know. So I okay. So uh, and I'll, I'll glaze over <laughs> this a little bit. But yeah. you know, I was 16 and I really enjoyed the studio process. So I okay. wanted I wanted to make a solo record. Wow. You know, because I started playing other instruments mm. too along the way. I started picking up bass. I started you know playing keyboards a little bit, and that first studio experience. I loved, you know, the cool thing about being the first guy in and having to track your part first. Right. You're just a fly on the wall for the rest of the process. So I would just sit right next to the engineer Mm. and I'm like, okay, how do you make drums that sound like this in this room sound like the final product? And I was just, you know. I was the, nice. the, the the audio bug bit me from that point on nice. too. I wanted to know how these faders and these knobs worked and how you got the sounds uh you know out of it. Do you, you, know, re- do, you do you remember the the mixing desk that um that was being used? At well, the time? I don't remember the desk, but it was it was tape. This oh, was and yeah. it was like it was crappy tape. It was Twitch, probably No, it was oh, it was hissy nastiness. <laughs> you know, and I still have those recordings and it's hilarious cuz it's like press play and it's like uh-huh, you know, this yeah. hissy nightmare. Um, but the drums were triggered and, you know, so they sounded, you know, okay. But yeah, it was, it was tape. So, and, and that experience right there, you know, uh, I'm an audio engineer now. I, yes. I, I mix records. I mix my own stuff. I, you know, do a lot of uh, stuff in the TV and film world in audio. And now we have every, everything's visual and you have these stems and you're, you know, I'm sitting there doing these crossfades or splicing and I'm thinking back to splicing that stuff with a razor blade. Putting that there, cut, tape, putting it back in the machine. And I remember my solo record uh, when I was 16, we graduated to ADATs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Digital recording with these super VHS tapes. Those little... 
And well, these were big VHS oh, tapes. Not the little ones yet. Yeah, huh? You mixed down to dat. Okay. The little guys, but these were eight. You could fit eight tracks. Wow. On the uh. super VHS, and then if you, you know, as we went, the engineer that owned the studio bought. You know, you could daisy chain. Yes, yes. These machines again, eight, and of eight, course eight, they of they course. would always get out of sync, like, and and things would go awry. That's when I learned about the CMT, right? I mean, yeah, that was around yeah, that time. It was like, oh like my that. god, you know, time coding, all that stuff. Uh, but I would sit there, being the drummer, and punching in was the thing. You know, yeah. you couldn't. You know, it was just computers have come such a long way. Back then, if you wanted to touch up, like, oh, I need to hit that note differently, and we need to punch in on just that note mm. or that measure. Yep. Being the drummer, the guy with good time, I was sitting there with the big remote control for the ADAT yeah. doing the, the punches and the punch outs because there was no. Imagine, like, well, right? let's, let's undo that and redo it. No, you had to do it right. People, don't, people nowadays don't know that the transports were this big, oh, as man. big as a uh, probably a sequencer or whatever, right? All What's that. the sequencer? <laughs> In a Kai what? In a Kai what? People know what those uh, nice uh, pads are. They, they never experienced the MC500 or the MC50. The MPC and oh. all that stuff, yeah. So now... Mm-hmm. All these gear, right? All these gear, you're, you're, the audio bug. I'm, I'm learning the stuff, yeah. Bit you. You're, the engineer that you were working with, was he, a, was he more of like a mentor kind of guy? Was he enthusiastic you know, in, um, you know, in teaching you? There was a you? few. You know, that first record was uh, a guy, uh, Tom Rice, I believe is, was his name. I just, I just was a fly in the wall. I, wasn't, I looked like I wasn't paying attention, but I was, I was checking everything out. The next guy, uh, when I got to work with the ADATs, and I worked with Terry Kowalski for a long, like, I, I think I did three different recording projects with him over the course of a, few, a couple of years. And uh, he, yeah. You know, doing a, a solo album uh, at 16. I just, I wanted to play all the instruments. I got that's into what you singing. Did. Yeah, I tracked everything. I had a guitar player come in and do some Wait, fancy wait, wait, back up, stuff. back why, up. Why? Drums, and now you're playing all the instruments. When did this come in? How, when, when did you learn how to play all the instruments? You know, I don't know. Just over the course of, of my teenage years, I picked up bass. I bought a bass. Um, Where'd you get I, all the money? I, I worked. Uh, I let's, worked. Uh, let's talk about that because yeah. these kids are used to asking their parents for. Yeah, well, that for happened gear. for for a long period. Yeah, of time. but not the and whole Neil Peart. That uh, first Tama kit that I got uh, because I wanted a Tama kit. I remember my dad saying, "Okay, well, you've got to, you know, let's you've got to place an ad to sell this kit that you have now." The the TK <clears throat> the TKO percussion, uh-huh. and I had a I had a motorcycle. I had a Honda CR80 dirt bike that I would okay. ride around. And, and he's Jason like, well, Bonham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like motorcycle or drums. Yeah. You got to sell the motorcycle if you want this better kit. I'm like, ah, damn. Okay, that's fine. I'll take the drum kit. So I had to sell a few things. And he taught me the value of like, you know, this stuff's just not going to show up, man. Like, what do you ask oh, for? Oh, nice. You got to figure out how to make this, you know, we'll add some money for you. But you okay. got to understand the value of like, you know, trading stuff so up the, and trading the, stuff so out. So the Neil Peart. Kit, what kind of drum was that? That was the Tama. Okay, like, so it I started a, with a what kind of Tama did you get? The Rockstar. It was the Rockstar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. of course. It so was a, ro- it was a misty chrome uh, uh, Tama Rockstar that I bought from the Dearborn Drum Shop, made in Japan. Made in Japan. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. Yeah, Ugh, yeah sucks. Well, are Tama's not doing yeah. except for the Bubinga. Okay, all right. Everything else because I know Yamaha moved over to China. Yeah. yeah. 
Whatever. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Um, later we'll talk. Ox- Tomic- well, later we'll talk Oxnard, but uh, now we'll. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> okay. Um, the Tama kit. The Tama kit was. I mean, it was. It was ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, sixteen. Kick and snare, which is a, already a pretty Standard. big kit. Mm. Um, and then I just added on from there. It was like every birthday, every Let, Christmas, uh, every. I asked for the chime tree. Then I asked for the rototoms. Look then I at asked you. For the, so it was a building process. And every time I learned a new Rush song or tried to learn a new Rush song, I'm like, well, what's he using there? What the hell is that thing? You know? And I didn't have the tubular bells. Like that, that's a huge monstrosity of a, you know, orchestral instrument that costs thousands of dollars. So I had to settle, you know, for not did you, having did you just, that. Did, but, I'm sorry. Uh, you threw me off. Did you just uh, throw a, a, a different accent at me? Did my Midwestern yes, accent come out? out? It, it comes out. out every now and then. I get called out on that every now and then. I don't hear it, but some somebody's like, you know, people call me out on that. I still have no idea what the hell did I say that was so Midwestern. But. Okay, so um, <laughs> caught you there. Huh? I don't mind. I, don't, I know okay. the Me too. That's why I don't like this. It was such a fake. My accent's thicker than this, by the way. <laughs> so, so this. So the parts for the Tama drums came from birthdays, Christmas. Time to build all that. Patience stuff is up. a virtue, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I still don't know patience very well. So when I, did when, better at it. <laughs> when did the work part come into play? When did you have to work to buy stuff? Um, you know, in, in high school, uh, I wanted to 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 record my records and have that experience. So I I got a job. I was mm. I was working the cash register at McDonald's. Nice, you know, working a lot of early mornings on the weekends and probably three days, two days during the week, as parents, many as hours as you were allowed right. to as a sixteen year old kid. Your, your parents were proud of you for doing that. Parents were probably pretty pleased with my work ethic uh-huh. that they instilled in me. And um, you know, they did you know hand the keys to the car over when I turned sixteen. They I, I, you know, my sister got that. It was the hand-me-down yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. worked out to where, like, okay, you get the the Cutlass Supreme is yours. Oh. You know, it's like yes, uh, big car, man, big car <laughs> for the drums. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I used that car ever for that drum kit. I was always getting picked up with with vans and stuff. Oh. So anyway, anyway, um, yeah, and I remember. Oh, gosh, I remember taking that that gig that I had at this club. I played the I Rock in in uh, on Harper Avenue, rough neighborhood in downtown Detroit, and I took the whole Neil Peart kit, man. It's like, wow, this is what I play, man. Wow, so set I, it up. <laughs> oh I had my so god, so many drums on that riser. Oh my god, and the god. sound guy comes up and he looks at me. He's like. Are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, mic him up. I walked away, you know, like what a little shit, you know, like what, what is this? who does this kid think he is? I'm like, well, that's your job, right? You, you're here to mic up my drum kit. Oh man, terrible. But he did, and wow. uh, yeah, oh, three mics, two over. He mic'd up a wow. lot of drums, man. Hats off to that guy. I don't remember his name. I'm, I'm usually good with remembering names, but <laughs> he didn't give me too much grief. He just mic'd them all up. I mean, I had two snares and like it was wow. just a lot of stuff for a 16-year-old, 14-year-old kid, I think, at the time to bring in. But anyway, yeah, I worked, and I and I spent my money on, on gas for my car uh-huh. and studio time. And I learned the craft of recording. So you produced your album. I did. And, you know, it, it's, I, I, it's cringeworthy now. Like, I, I can <laughs> listen back and be like, wow, what an ambitious little little. Why not, right? But it, it was just the... the it was a great learning experience and, and, uh, you know, 
ambitious as it was, it was exactly that. It was a really great learning experience. And um, I, I still remember those ADATs. And then I remember this whole like, oh, everything's moving to computer. And I'm like, well, how does that work? Oh, you know? so you were you, you never resisted. You were more the inquisitive no, type. No, I was fine with it. I mean, I, I got into, uh, you know, so I was working a lot in a lot of bands uh, around town, the suburbs. I was making some decent money. Um, there was a little stint there where I moved to the Virgin Islands and, and raised hell down there. And then I flew back up and, and, uh, um, that was an interesting six months, but that's a different show. Okay. <laughs> that's a different conversation. A different episode for that yeah, one. We'll yeah. bring Mark I'll back. Come, I'll come back and we'll just specifically talk about those six months. Um, but yeah, I came back and, um, oh, I came back in December of that year. That was probably 1997 or eight, something like that. And I had already, like, I recorded a lot of records with, you know, you know, a band that I was in with some friends. We were playing, um, you know, the college circuit was right. a Wait, thing. Wait, you came you back. Know. You came back to Michigan. I did come back to Michigan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, prior to that, I was in this college rock band, mm. and we put out two records. And we were playing, you know, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Ypsilanti, Michigan, the college towns. Yeah. Toledo was an right. easy market for us because the town that I lived in was exactly a half an hour from Toledo, a half an hour from Detroit, and a half an hour from Ann Arbor. So we would what's, just keep on hitting that triangle. Of, yeah, what's uh, what's that Canadian... Uh, Windsor. 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 I played we would, Windsor. We would frequent Windsor, not to play. I know, I know. But the drinking gonna... <laughs> age was a little younger. Yeah. So we would frequent. And the cool thing about that was there was a lot of cool... Uh, we would go to um, these blues bars and yeah. see these really tasty blues bands playing. And I'm not... I don't market myself as a blues guy, even though one of my primary... Is, is, yes. <laughs> my primary artist that I work with is very much so blues. a blues guy. Um you know, but I, I respect good music, yeah. you know, whatever genre it is. And we would go to, uh, I think it was called New Chicago Blues Bar and Aardvarks. We used to go there. In Canada. Yeah. And uh, and Don Cherry's to watch the <laughs> hockey games uh, and drink ourselves. It was, it was so weird. Uh, it was so weird because uh, we had a show in Toronto, drove to Windsor, and I was looking at our itinerary. I was like, these producers suck. <laughs> so they, they, they flew us to Canada, but they want us to take the bus to the States? Crossing the border is no joke, too, when you have gear and it's, it's a problem. But it's so weird because Windsor, <laughs> well, and, back then Windsor and Detroit are like that, 10 minutes away. Yeah, all it, they're right on the same it's like, Detroit River. Yeah, it's like, you can see Windsor from Detroit. It's like but, Glendale and Burbank. Yeah. Kinda, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's right there. I mean, anytime you see Detroit pictured, they're oh, taking yeah. that picture from, from the Windsor, other side yeah. of the yeah, from the other side of the Detroit River. Okay, um, so you did that. You did let's, I let's, did that. I, I did the records uh-huh. with the this band called the Lindemans and you know, we were we were the, the, the rage, all ah. the rage for, for the young, you know, ladies of, of uh, you know, freshmen. You were and, having fun. I was having a good time. <laughs> I was being exposed to uh, you know, Right. All the things that go along with right. being in, in a cool band. Yes, yes. The uh, perks. We thought we were cool, you know. And those records cracked me up. I, I pop in the, the, that stuff every now and then. So while you were smart. here, was L.A. on the horizon? No. 
I always, I was always intrigued with with LA, See, but I think I was still probably in that that phase of like just being a little afraid of the big city. Uh, I felt like it would chew me up pretty good. You know? uh, I was just, I was still very timid. I spent all my my, I was in a really, um, you know, I played in a country band. Wow. In 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 the you know nineties, we had this big push of what we called young country i think it was dubbed as like shania twain shania twain it was rock and roll jars of of clay oh around that time yeah 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 yeah. i know so i was playing that kind of stuff in bars and i ended up landing um i answered an ad in the metro times which is like the you know the, the rag you know the cool indie you know um like the la weekly yeah exactly when those things were like thick thick. that was that was the way you found information and who was playing where and uh i answered i got fed up playing country music i did it for a year and i referred to it as like Uh. that time and uh i answered an ad i don't remember what the ad said but it was it was cool i think i was answering every ad to be honest it was there was like musicians wanted for all these different bands and that was cool like i don't know how to how people get gig. I still don't know how to get gigs, but <laughs> I just <laughs> accidentally land in gigs and I'm very happy about it when it happens. But back then I was answering these ads and I, I landed this, this, um, I don't know. They came to see me at one of my gigs and, um, they were a band, uh, that was doing some pretty interesting stuff sonically. And like, really? it was a totally different, and it was really intriguing to me because it, 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 it melded really aggressive rock with synthesizers. Ooh. And I'm like, you know, I had heard of nine inch nails, yeah. um, you know, being the late nineties, but I, I didn't have any of the records. Um, but they sent me some of their stuff and I talked to the guys on the phone. I'm like, this is really interesting stuff. I have no idea what I would contribute to this with a drum kit. Um, but I also, uh, found this band called garbage that I was really, really into because it was exactly the, because what Shirley I needed Manson? at the time. Shirley was, was hot. Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> Shirley was surely everything that, that, you know, you wanted in a, in an alternative, yes! uh, female. People artist. were, people were like, are you there for Butch Vig? Who? <laughs> uh, well, see, Butch, Butch was, uh, you know, Shirley drew me in. Yes. But then I started yes. figuring out yes. who Butch was. Yes. And Butch is still oh one my of my, God, God well, genius. To, yes. To work with a guy uh-huh. like that because he, he cares about drum sound. Very and much. And he gets a drum sound like no other in Were the you studio. able to read his uh, Modern Drummer interview? You know, I, I, I don't recall. I, I've been a, 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 a getting my monthly subscription to that magazine since uh, yes. the mid to late 80s and i haven't missed one so, so i i'm sure i read it but when was that yeah uh, it was one of those major when garbage was coming out and yeah, um 95 or 96 yeah, was talked good. about nirvana mm-hmm. and then he talked about what he did to his drum kit where they wanted all electronics but he wanted an acoustic looking drum kit and this was mm. before yeah, yeah, yeah. this was before the time of mesh yeah yeah he would put uh, Roland came yeah out he would put heads. he would put um, styro peanuts uh, yeah, on yeah, inside yeah. the Tom just wow made, just I, a dead I, I, sound. I didn't I, I must have missed that article so it sounded like these drums behind us yeah but they were actual um, skins Shells yeah and skin, skins yeah. and triggered and and that's what they did and i was like wow he did some really great work and i went into the 90s kicking and screaming because i was coming of age 
in the right. late 80s, early 90s. I was right. just getting into high school, and I still wanted everything that I knew of the 80s to mm. continue yeah. into the 90s because now I'm like able to go to yes. these parties yes. and these yes. clubs and stuff. And, and lo changing. and behold, Nirvana comes and ruins uh. everything. Everything, as far as I felt at the moment, you know, I didn't understand what this oh. this wave of Seattle thing, yeah. bands, and I didn't appreciate it like I did later. Uh, it took me till you know probably ninety seven, ninety eight to appreciate what was going on musically. But you know, what? it's it's so like when when I think of um, now, I was able to tie it in when Stuart Copeland was being interviewed. He would say that during their punk scene, mm. him. Andy Summers and Sting, they were already good, but they had to dumb uh, they had to dumb down their performances to fit in the punk scene. Sure, and then the New Romantics came out after them, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the whole grunge thing is another way of the the, the Seattle explosion is more of like an expression of um, how these musicians instead of playing articulated rhythms and well that's an interesting take on it i looked at it as as the the backlash to ah. the, i mean by 88 things the were synth. pretty homogenized yeah, yeah. and nasty let's be honest yeah. i mean there was it was everything was a little bit too much at yes. that point the hair was a little too big the drum sounds were a little too reverbed out. yes things got a little ridiculous like everything it runs its course like nile roger <laughs> Don't you say anything bad about Nile. I'm not. Like, like I love that. I love him as a producer and as an artist. But, you know, everybody wanted to sound like Nile. And Nile, Nile was always tasty, though. Like, yes. He, he never got out of control with stuff. No. Like, um, you know, God, the records that, that he produced. Uh, he was Bowie, such Durant, the it guy. Yeah, chick. Steve Winwood. Winwood, yeah. Uh, Diana Ross, Madonna's Like a Virgin album. Yes. He had a run yes. there from 19, let's call it, you know, chic, even even moving outside of chic, what he did with that. But when he started producing, you know, the late seventies, very late seventies to like yeah. eighty six, he yeah. owned everything. He, everything. His name was on everything that was in the top four. Disco, yeah, it was. And then R and B, you had uh, Quincy Jones, and then you had him and the, right. the disco, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you I, wanted a hit, you had to get Nile. I saw him. In. I saw him in Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah. In uh, I saw him San was Diego. His, okay, so I saw him uh, when they played uh, the Hollywood Bowl. A few post, years this was post cancer because yeah. he he produced at least a, a song or two on on the new Duran, either the Paper Gods record. Yeah, or, well, Paper yeah. Gods. Okay, Paper Gods. So he was he sat in and, and played, and I think he op- Sheik opened the show. Yes, at the Hollywood. Oh, Bowl. same so thing. I was, yeah. I was same at thing. that. No Nick Rhodes, right? No, Nick was there. I didn't. I didn't miss. Yeah, Nick had to take some time yeah, off to do a family I, thing. Yes, I emergency. got. I, so you I got to, the show without yeah, Nick. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. But, I know. I gotta watch it again. Yeah, with Nick. But uh, I saw the Hollywood Bull show and a show in San Diego. That that. But either way, um, lucky you. And and I got to sit in. Uh, Niall did a, uh, a you know at the Grammy Museum. He mm. did a talk. Yeah. Um, and just being in the same room, like I don't get too starstruck or giddy. What did you, what did you take out? Oh my God. Well, I mean, he's, he's got, you know, he's got a little bit of an ego and rightfully so he's, he is the hit maker, baby, you know? 
Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of, there was a bit of a stroke fest about here's what I did and, and I'm awesome. Did, did and he talk yes, about, you are, yes, I agree yes. wholeheartedly. Did he talk about <laughs> the whole David Bowie let's dance? Uh, Absolutely. Like oh, God, from that, that guitar part, and like, ah, David. He is, talked uh, about the guitar part <laughs> and how he put the effect on yeah. it and made it the thing. And then he talked about the notorious album that yes. he produced with Duran. Yes. Thinking that he was going to be with Duran. He wanted to be mm. like the extra member of Duran. Because they got Steve Ferroni. Steve's my top five. Right? Yeah. I, my first concert experience, my first big okay. concert was 1986. And I was part devastated because Roger was Left, gone. Yeah. Andy was gone. Yes. But these two new cats, I Warren Cucurullo and, and uh, Steve, Steve Ferroni, yeah. I was like, whoa, these guys are players. Yes. Like, Duran, you know, played their instruments well, but these guys were a different caliber. It was so... You know, Warren was from the... From the, uh, uh, Missing Persons. Missing Persons, but uh, prior to that, he's a Zappa guy. Yes. Yes. And Ferroni was, you know, average white band, average white Eric band. Clapton, mm. uh, you know, some tasty gigs that he had. And um, that Notorious record was That was just so funky. funky. Yeah, yeah, I was going to yeah. say. The horns and, yeah, that was a good record. Um, but, yeah, seeing Niall in person and listening to his stories, I think it was like an hour and a half thing. That was, that was a pretty cool experience. And that's one of the great – that's why I can't leave L.A. Like, I, I have a love-hate relationship with this town. Me too. And the, those – you know, there's a lot of perks because you can, you can run into your people that you, you – Yeah. Know, that – are very cool to run into yes. and, or you can do Grammy museum things like listen to Niall Rogers, talk about his career and what he did, you know, his contribution to, to pop music. And let's go back. You haven't left. You haven't left Michigan. Um, okay. Yes. Oh, so I landed this cool gig in this band called sweaty suede lips. Oh, not country. Say it fast. Sweaty. <laughs> sweaty suede lips. We were very sweaty clever. Suede. We we put it sweaty all as one lips. word. Sweaty suede lips. So, okay. Um, and they were doing a thing uh, that was very influenced by Trent Reznor right. and you know, you know, Butch Vig. And, so can and, I, can we say like MGMT kind of thing? Industrial. Uh, I like MGMT, um, but this was this was you News. know they listened to. Uh, entire teenage riot and like some really um dark oh, wave electronic like okay. stuff that they were introducing me to stuff that was really whack like this stuff okay. was like really aggressive electronic music in minor yeah oh of course <laughs> I mean, it was a dark. major key to be <laughs> yeah. found in any of that stuff and there's like white noise being triggered on yeah like just really to me it was like wow oh, this is so very now, very cool so now white noise chase uh, so you are well, you doing can the integrate whole, the yes. electronics mm. and being that uh, i had already discovered garbage and garbage to them in this camp was like oh yeah they're cool right but here's you know this record You know, Marilyn Manson was a big thing at yeah. that point. Nine Inch Nails was huge, brought industrial music to the forefront. Yes. Um, so and you became the drummer of Sweaty Suede Lips. Sweaty Suede Lips, yes. And we did really, really well. We owned Detroit. And Detroit had a really, really cool music scene at that point. This was 98 to 2003 we were together. Wow. And this was, you know, a lot of cool bands were happening in Detroit. A lot of cool bands were becoming successful out of Detroit. You had the garage rock scene yeah. happening. Jack White was on fire Kid rock with was. White Stripes. Well, Kid Rock, Eminem, I mean, you had a yes, lot of different them. stuff yes, happening. Yes, Which, you know, we had our time in the 60s with Motown. We had a little, you know, there was some 80s uh, hair metal bands coming out of Detroit. 
um, that eventually relocated to LA because that's where everything was happening. Uh huh. But then the late '90s, early 2000s, you had this garage rock thing. You had whatever the hell Kid Rock was doing. You had Eminem doing yep. the the, the hip hop thing. And there were a lot of great bands to put together bills. You know, up until that point, it was like if you were the king of Detroit in terms of you had draw. Yeah. Um, the the thing to do was, okay, you need to put together a bill for this this you know venue. You'd put two crappy bands mm-hmm. on the bill to to make yourself look better. Well, we kind of changed that. We went into this, you know, uh, this Detroit music scene with a different attitude of like, let's put together. We were in a position where we were, we had draw, we were bringing them in. We had an amazing show. I finally learned how to dress. Um, this band taught me a lot from, from everything from, okay, now we're using computers to record. Um, I, you know, started, you know, looking over the shoulders of the two guys that were, you know, the, the core, you know, yeah. the, the John and Paul of yes, that band. The band, there's always those guys. And, uh, I was paying close attention to, you know, we were using samplers and all, it was very technologically advanced. This band, you were enjoying this. I was enjoying this. Yes. Plus your recording experience taught you to actually just, you know, the click is there and it's, oh, part of the and, show. and the live show was very, yeah. like I had to get in your monitors yes. for the first time because the click. Who were firing the samples? You or you know? It was very interesting at the beginning. I remember we didn't. We were. I think we were running backing tracks off of a DA seventy eight, a Tascam DA seventy eight, and it only had two outs. Yes, and they were very adamant about stereo mixes out front. So I didn't get a click for the first. I think it was like for the first two damn years of that band, I was listening to the loops, the, the loops, yeah, and just you know, and there'd be like dead silent. And you better make bar. sure you better make sure that you land Ooh, back on. Man, you know, so there was a lot of me sitting in my, you know, home studio, whatever it was, my practice space, playing along with, uh, you know, my laptop. And I would have, you know, because the metronome keeps going, I would program a certain amount of bars and randomly have yeah. measures where they'd cut out for a measure, right. two measures. Yes. And it'd be random. And I'd play just the groove and the click would drop out. And I'd keep going. And then if I landed back on the one, you know, goal, you know, oh that was God. it. So that's how I, I trained myself for that. And then eventually we got, um, maybe the DA-78 was later. And that had multiple outputs. It had like eight outputs where you could assign yeah. clicks. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember running the backing tracks off of like mini discs and weird, you know. Mini disc, yeah, that oh, was a thing. That was terrible. Um, maybe that's what it was at first. And then we graduated to the DA-78. That sounds right. Because that had multiple outs. And I finally got a click track for the last like year and a half that the band was together. And, uh, so yeah, there was, there was a lot of technology. We had a light guy that come in nice and do, like, we looked like a signed band and everybody kind of thought that we were going to be the next thing out of but, Detroit. So what, what happened? Oh man. Bands are hard. Bands are hard to keep together. Why? Well, uh, bands that are um, manufactured. Well, bands that are that are trying that, that have ambitious goals, and and whenever you put, you know, whether it's three or five or however many creatives right. in, a, in a room, it's it's not always fun, True. and it's not always easy. The personalities and, and all that stuff. It's it's uh, 
you know, you have this strong minded yeah. people that are running the show, whether there's one or two, mm. there's usually it's limited to one yep. or two. And, you know, y- your ego gets a little damaged and you're, you know, like, that's why I'm having such like, nobody's ever asked me to, to talk. I'm <laughs> like, I was driving here. I'm like, what the hell am I going to talk about for an Imagine hour? We've, we've been talking for more than yeah, an hour. And, yeah. And this is great because I have like a lot of decades worth of yes. stuff. To talk. Talk about. I'm used to doing interviews, uh, with bands, uh-huh. uh, you know, we've done a fair share of radio interviews over the course of uh, decades and I'm usually the quiet one and, and maybe, at the, you know, get my moment to say a few things, but, uh, no, I, you know, so this is a rare, but fun well, this experience. Is, this is because, first of many I'd like to believe because, um, you know, having you on the program, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to tune in. Reach out to well, you. I hope that, that what will. I'm saying is interesting because very everybody's interesting. got a story, you know. If you... Very interesting. And it's very inspiring, by the way. Very informative and very inspiring. So Good, good. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just inspired right now. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so why did you guys break up? Um, I, I, you know, we hit the ground running so hard. Those the first... I always say that if you, can, if you can keep your band together after the three to four year mark... Yeah. You're in good shape right. because that's usually oh, when yeah. things get a little. It's a marriage. Dicey. It really is, and it's not a marriage between two people. No. It's like four, orgy, five, whatever, <laughs> orgy, and somebody's touching you the wrong yes. way. Yes, orgy. You know, somebody, somebody, the, the safe word didn't get. Yeah. You know, paradiddle, yeah. paradiddle, paradiddle. It's supposed to stop. And they don't stop. They uh, they keep on they keep forcing going. their exactly. way into areas stop that it, you don't want. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it got to the point, you know, we put out, uh, material, we, that band had every entity that is necessary. We had a great look. We had our own photographer that took amazing photographs of the mm. band. We had a great image. Right. Everybody was dressed proper, you know, for this gig. Um, and the, the, the recordings were, um, amazing, uh, for the time, and the live show was just off the hook. Like I said, Ooh. we had we had amazing light show, and we, it was just I learned the, the whole package, the, the production value, the production value, and yeah. how much work and yes. effort it yes. took to put something like that together. But what happens is, if you don't get to where you want to be in a certain amount of time, there's burnout. You, right. you burn out the, the energy. You can only sustain yeah. that sort of grind. Um, you know, we're hitting all the radio stations. We're doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, people are overlooking us, uh, overlooking us because they thought we were already signed because we made yeah. everything look so good. Did you, did you have a manager at this time? We, we were working with a guy. Yeah. That was trying to get us to the next level. Mm. You know, was he a proper man? Like, I don't know what, like how these bands find managers. If they find their manager before they Right. Get to the the ultimate goal and get assigned a manager, or you know you look at some of these uh, classic bands, these legacy bands, and these managers started out with them yes. day one. Yeah, you know, like, okay, Rush. Ter- yes. uh, Terry Brown was their producer for a long time from the beginning, but Ray Daniels. Yeah, I think it was Ray Daniels. Not familiar. The manager from like he was booking them in high school gyms. That's in how. 1972, that's like Paul. You know, Paul Guinness with you too. Same exactly. Thing. Those legacy band managers just saw something in that band. They and, wanted to be and, a part of it. Invested it from invested in them from the get go. Exactly. Our our manager Tommy Tanchanko started with us as we were starting the band. And mm-hmm. Intervoice, my band is like thirty two years old already. Oh wow! Yeah, we're still around. And I know, right? 
all that good clean living, right? Like you look great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he was there from the beginning. First, he was the guy carrying the equipment. Yeah, then we were yeah, able yeah. to find another guy, Pancho Gonzalez, to do that for us. And then he was able to find a bunch of roadies it's to do that. It's your buddies, for us. man. Yeah. It's it's people that see yes. something they want to be a part of. Yes. It. Everybody likes to be around the band. And but when they true. see it gaining momentum, they want to be a part of the, you know, it's cool yeah. to be, we had that. I, I had that with my band, you know, in, in high school when we were playing clubs or when I graduated high school and was able to play, you know, college bars and stuff like that. Now, so, okay, so this band. Sweaty Suede Lips. Sweaty Suede Lips. Sweaty Suede, sweaty, sweet Lips. Mm-hmm. Oh. Where so being more of like a passive member of the band, were you keeping your fingers crossed? Please don't break up. Please don't break up. What, I didn't even think or, about it because I was having such a blast, but I was still very quiet. Right, I was the quiet guy. Yes, um, I I meet people that that in Detroit now that remember that band, and uh, they're like, "You were the guy that just you didn't say anything. You just." Play. play drums awesome but you, you were just so quiet and i'm like i was just scared to death to talk to anybody i didn't i didn't feel like i had anything to offer socially so i was just like you know i don't know what to say you know well, so was there an exit was there an exit strategy for you at this point no no there was no exit strategy because i so you were you the, were all in we were just so on our way and we were doing so well and then it just it kind of ran out of gas in a lot of different facets the, the core songwriter um, you know, even if you ask him to this day, he, he's like, he knows what he did wrong. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Ego gets the best of some yeah, people. That's and, true. And you're like, you know, I don't need these guys. You know, I, there was a little bit of that. There was a, a lull in the writing process. We didn't have new material. We were playing the same old show for a long right. time. We introduced a couple new things. And, you know, and quite honestly, the, the, because of that, the, the, the crowd, the crowd yeah. starts to dwindle a little yes, bit. Yes. And, uh, you've got, like I said earlier, you, to maintain that level yeah. and we had it's a high intense. standard, we set a standard and, in it's, that it's, and that standard's probably intense, right? Very intense. Yeah. And there's a lot of work, right? A lot of set up, tear down. Work. Yeah. And I you mean, had a crew, and, and, you had a crew. Oh man, we didn't have, I mean, we had a, a few people. So that meant out. that you guys were actually setting up and tearing down. Oh dude. Yeah. I mean, our lighting guy, yeah. he was, he was a separate company. So yes. he would come and do his thing. We had a great, uh, sound engineer that was, you know, working a lot of the clubs, but like once we established that that guy runs our sound great, we're hiring him to do yes. all of our appearances. Yes. So we got that guy, but I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm schlepping my gear at the and, and I course. still hate doing that. Like my my idea of success over the years has like we talked about like oh I want to be Duran Duran <laughs> I want to have that sort Webley, of fame yeah. to I just want somebody to set up and tear down my shit man like that's the idea yeah. of success to me now is like I. I don't care about fame and fortune. I just want somebody to set up my stuff and tear it down. I just. And how you know, old were you? Uh, were you 18, 19? How old were you? In that there? band, I was in my 20s. I was 20s like the, the 24 okay. mark, which was okay. like. You were old. old well, <laughs> some people standards. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, again, every experience in this sort of thing is, is a learning experience. Of course. So and you woke up and. Sweaty, sweaty, sweaty lips. lips. I, I got a, I got an email. Wow, wow. Saying that your equipment is on the front lawn. Come pick it up. <laughs> Are it you was, serious? We we talked him out of of 
dissolving the band once. And I think we played one more show, not knowing it was our last show. Uh, and then um, I think it was weeks later where we got that email. Were you guys friends apart from the band? We got pretty close, Like yeah. you, you guys hung out and yeah, all that stuff? Yeah. Wow. I mean, we were, we were the type of band. We, we would go out to different venues and different events in Detroit. And Just the Metro all, Times would right. write about, like, ooh, oh. Sweaty Suede Lips guys were, were in yeah. attendance at the... We were, like, the, the cool yes, kids yes. in town and, and setting that, that bar. And, uh, and when you have a band that sets a bar in a scene, like, sets that yeah. standard, it brings everybody up. And they're of like, course. oh, we've got to put on, you know, this they show. They have to catch so up. The, the yeah. shows were really good. We had great... People on the bill that, that were in the opening slot, the special guest yeah, slot, yeah, yeah. like the whole night. So people wanted to come to those shows and it, and it fizzled and there was a lot of just things that I remember when we broke up and this has nothing, maybe, you know, it, I don't, I'm not saying it has anything to do with us breaking up, mm. but it seemed the Metro Times had listed all the bands that month that had broken up. The whole scene was <sighs> done in one foul swoop. It was just over. And this was when? This is 2003. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And and it was just like to get that taste of of you know Stardom. local and yeah. regional success and seeing what it takes to do that. Part of me was like it was it was it was tough to deal with. Of course. But at the same time it's like, okay, well, I'll just do it again with somebody else. Really? That was nice. That sort of like all those entities working together like they did. Is not easy. It, it, the stars really need to line They up have to for align. something yeah. to remember. To you work you like that. saw them from your, from was that Metro? Uh, what magazine? The Metro Times. The Metro Times, yeah. right? You found them, or they found you. Three and a half years, then you mm -hmm. get an email. <laughs> no <laughs> good. The worst way to it right. may have well been a fax. You know, like, no good. No no goodbyes. Up. No no. And then what happened? Um, the, uh, the, okay. So there were two guys that were like the John and Paul of that uh, operation. Um, well, I, I started, and that's where I met Ken Roberts, which okay. is who I work with in the Josie Pace project. Right. Um, who is my current, uh, one of my current artists that I, that I play for. Um, and Ken and I have been, hold on. You met Ken in Michigan. I met Ken in Michigan ah. and, and he's still in Michigan. They're, okay. Josie's based out of Michigan. She's wow. a Detroit, uh, artist. And, um, yeah, I was in sweaty suede lips with Ken Roberts and, uh, you know, he was a guy that, that, you know, before that band, even he was signed to Warner brothers or Mercury. Okay. He had a couple record deals. He toured, he was, You know, had a video on regular rotation on MTV. He got okay. a taste of that. Awesome. Yeah. And so he already knew that the, the, the music industry is, I mean, he made no money off that. And, and, and it was right. just like constant touring. You know, they did the whole tour bus thing and, and had the MTV thing. And, you know, and, and, you know, there was like yep. 18 million people in that band too. So you chop up all oh of you know, yeah. It was silly. But either way, uh, you know, um, he had that experience and brought that to the table in Sweaty Sweet Lips. We did really well it ended ken and i kept on working together we had a um a studio project if you will we never played a live show but we put out a record under the name cleanse mm -hmm. and it was completely different it was we tapped into our um and this is something that the kids should know too and i don't think that this happens enough in today's uh music fan um they don't go backwards 
If they find an artist that they like, and and maybe I'm generalizing, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. I'm old. I have no idea what the hell is going on these days. But what I do kind of feel happens is when I was a Duran Duran fan or am a Duran Duran fan in the 80s when I discovered Duran and I and I took that, you know, all the records, loved all the records. Well, who who were they listening to? Exactly. Who inspired that? Exactly. Roxy then Music. Then you find Roxy Music exactly, and Brian right? Ferry. And then you listen to that. Then you listen to that and you're like, holy crap, there's a whole, you know, this, yes, this guy, yes, Brian Ferry, yes. and his tuxes and... The guy walks on stage, first song, right? and his bow tie is hanging like he just got back from a cocktail party, uh-huh. and he saunters on stage, and you're like, this guy's cool. I want to do that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you discover who David Sylvian is yes, if you go Japan. back to Japan. Yeah. Thank you for knowing that, because there's not, you know, Japan... Still life in mobile homes, baby. Oh, man. I, I just got the tin drum uh, vinyl <laughs> and uh, all the remastered, the high-speed vinyls that they're putting <laughs> out now. That's that, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Steve Jansen. Drum talk, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those records are great. Nobody knows who they are in the States, uh-huh. so I'm glad you do. Um, but yeah, if you look at the Cleanse album and listen to that, that it's, is me and like Ken that. Roberts, okay. you know, tapping into our, our David Sylvian, wow. Brian Ferry, Soiree kind of, you know, like, stuff. You know, you know, when I first listened to Japan, I was like, and, and again, coming from. Coming from the arrangement of Duran Duran, you know where the the cars is or the the bridge is, right? And then you go Japan. I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a different vibe, but you you yes. certainly can see where Nick Rhodes yes, got his look. Yes, you know they've yes. got a song called Night Porter, and yes. then Duran's got Night Boat, and then you, yes. you have them gentlemen take Polaroids, and uh-huh. Duran has girls on film. You know, yes, everybody's yes. influenced by somebody. Everybody uh-huh. borrows a little bit from somewhere, and I don't know if that that goes on today. Like kids Very true. or music fans, younger generation music fans, I don't know if they're paying any sort of attention to who inspired the artists that they like. And it should happen more often yeah. because, you know, the stuff shouldn't be forgotten. That's, that's true. Because sure. I remember telling my son when we were talking, because my son, my son's a rap artist. And, mm-hmm. um, and a very good one. I heard uh, thank you stuff. So I, 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 interview. I asked, I actually, uh, he actually asked me, so dad, this killers, because uh, he's in, he was into the killers. Mm-hmm. And I go, that's like Duran Duran. They're they're very influenced by Duran Duran. Yeah, and, yeah. and then you, you you listen to Brandon Flowers' uh, interview, and he goes, "Yep, I'm a Nick Rhodes fan." Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, I like that band. They're out of Vegas, aren't they? They are out of yeah. Vegas. So so at least that those kind of bands have context, and I guess it's important. Kids nowadays, you're right. Kids nowadays should put context into the bands that they listen to, and go there, go to the yeah. source. History, you know it. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go, Check go, that stuff out. Go to the source. And, uh, you know, and I, I don't I want this to turn into like, you know, a, a bitch fest about modern music uh, in the last 20 years of, of trying to figure out what's what, you know. Yeah. Honestly, every decade had its stamp. Like if you yep. look at 40s music, 50s, yeah. 60s, 70s. 80s, 90s, everything is like you can put it yep. in a nice box. 90s had a lot of diversity, and, and you had the but Beastie Boys, still, Nine Inch Nails, yes. and Primus and doing that. A lot of different stuff. Yeah. It was a melting pot of great, interesting stuff. And then Soundgarden, Alice Chase. The list of bands right. goes on. Right. And then we get to the new millennium, and oh I'm sitting there waiting for, okay, what's the new thing going to be? K-pop. 20 years later, I'm still like, well, what's the new thing going to be? K-pop. I have no idea what's happening. BTS. 
Ay, ay. Yeah. No, and no, no offense, guys. Like I said, I don't want to turn it into like, and I'm, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible. Like, yeah. Am I gonna? Am I turning into that old man that thinks that his era of music is the best, or is some of this stuff pretty homogenized and, mm. and with little substance? But then again, you're still in Michigan. At that point. At that point in the early 2000s, I was in Michigan writing David Sylvian wannabe songs ah, with Ken with Roberts. So with Cleanse, yes. Okay. And that's available on Spotify. There you go. We'll put, um, the, we'll put a link in the description. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, then uh, it was around that time that I started playing with a phenomenal guitar player and singer uh, by the name of Laith Elsadi. Okay. And he is... Uh, a cat that's been around for, you know, a, a very long time. How'd you meet him? He's out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was, uh, you know, I was living in the next town over um, where Eastern Michigan campus is. And uh, at that point I had been, um, I was the store operations manager of a guitar center. Nice. In Southfield, Michigan. And then I opened a store in, in Canton, Michigan and ran that one for a lot of years. So no, so no, was, no Berkeley? No Berkeley. I skipped out on Berkeley altogether, and I and I and I was very. Um, I was kind of bummed about that for a long time. I was okay. like, "Did I make the wrong decision there?" Uh, and I was still gigging a lot, but I had the day job at, at Guitar Center, and uh, was like, and was that like being a kid in candy store? It was Guitar Center was a very 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 cool music store. Right. Big box music store, yeah. the first of its kind. <laughs> they came to Michigan, and, and I mean, they started. You know, the store started popping up, and it was just like I've never seen so many instruments uh. in one place. And then, you know, I'm there buying drum heads one day, and I'm like, "Hey, you guys hiring?" You know, I had just gotten back from the Virgin okay. Islands. I needed a job. Oh, this yeah, okay. You know, so that goes back a little bit. We're bouncing around a little bit, but uh, either way, I started a, a, a what would become an eight year career wow. as the store operations manager of Guitar Center. And uh, the discount was amazing. Of course, yeah, I heard. <laughs> uh, you know, bone cost on everything. I, I built wow. my studio. I built my recording outfit and my drum rig and everything from working there. In the basement. Were you still <clears throat> living at home? No, no. I moved out of the house. I think I was 20 or, or 21 when Look I moved out you. of the house. Look at you. You got your own house or apartment? I, I moved into a house with four of my buddies <laughs> that were going to college. So I was living the college life. <laughs> Without, Without the classes. <laughs> and, and I'd have my briefcase and I'd be walking into the door, you know, after a long day of running a, a multi-million dollar, dollar guitar center, store. being the youngest uh, store, store operations, operations manager. manager in the country. And, uh, you know, I'd walk in and they'd say, dad's home. <laughs> they'd make fun of me because I was the only one with the, you know, the jobby job. And, the, you know, that was a trip, man. It was two of my bandmates that I, that I had for a long time and, and this other good friend of mine uh, who were just the core. So you, you guys were tight. At least you, you, were living with, you were living with people you were close to. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was an interesting time. And, um, yeah. So, so you I, set up the studio there. Um, yeah, I had the basement there and, and just started building up. You know, my studio bounced around. And uh. eventually my studio... Um, because I had been, I started living in a condo, um, that was too tight to keep any gear. So I'm like, mom, dad, can I put my studio in your basement again? They're like, yeah, come on down. That's the only time we'll see you. So sure. So I would drive down to nice. my parents' place and have my studio in the basement. It was, it's like anything that you can do to make music. Are your you parents know? still around? Oh yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. 
they just had their their 50th wedding anniversary Amen. like last year or year before and then still going strong <laughs> shout and, uh, out yeah mom and dad um and uh yeah so they were nice enough to let me continue to bang on drums in their basement <laughs> in my 20s um and yeah i started you know playing with Laith. i met him because my my roommates uh my college roommates were bartenders and Okay. Wait staff at this, you know, this restaurant, which then had a martini lounge in the basement and, or the downstairs bar. And uh, they kept it. You got to come down and check out this cat that that just can wail on guitar. So Liv would play by himself? He had a band. He had a a trio. Okay. Okay. And he was playing everything from covers and he had a record out. um, And uh, he was, you know, Opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, I went from sweaty suede lips playing like highly technical, you know, stuff following a click, right? um, To you know, dabbling on this cleanse studio project and doing that thing. To I needed a gig. I needed to play out again. You know, even though I had the day job, I was you know, of course, I was doing the day job, but I was just like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Um, and I, you know, meeting Lath and seeing him play, I remember coming down to that club and Goodnight Gracie was, uh, was a club martini lounge, not that much bigger than the room that we're in, like maybe twice the size, Okay, but it was a tight, you know, probably could cram 70 people in okay. there, you know, it was, it was small, but it was on U of M campus, you know, university of Michigan, yeah. big campus. And it was, it was the spot. And he had a residency there every Wednesday, Thursday, he'd be playing. And he played there for a few years at this point. And, um, I came down and checked him out and I, you know, it's martini lounge. So right. I'm, of course. Got my martini. Oh, of course. And I'm sipping my drink and I had a couple martinis oh, and then finally, you know, he goes on break. And, uh, the bar manager that, that I, you know, knew real well, that was telling me to come down and check this guy out, uh, introduced me. He's like, this is Lath and this is Mark. And, and, uh, you know, one thing leads to another and I, you know, you want, you want to come up and sit in. I've been hearing about your drumming from all these guys. So he made you jam. So I'm like, oh, a couple of martinis. And yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, if yeah. I'm going to be at my best, but sure. Why not? And, uh, never say no, never say no. Unless you're really, you know, <laughs> in no condition. But I was fine. I was good enough to, to get up there and play. And uh, the, the first song that we play, he, he turns around and asks me, what do you want to play? I'm like, I, I hate this question. I don't know. He's he's very roots rock oriented. He was playing a lot of, you know, um, you know, long train running or right. a lot of Allman Brothers, Brothers and the band yeah. and, you know, some R&B stuff yeah. and um, had a good, you know, Motown catalog happening. Uh, so I'm like, I don't know, just pick something. I'll go with it. You know, he's like, well, who do you like drumming wise? Like who, who, what name a drummer that you like? I'm like, you know, the first guy I tend to to mention because Neil's the obvious choice, but I'm not going to, you know, sit down at this four piece Ringo kit and say, I like Neil Pierce. Exactly. You know, um, but I was like, you know, Manu Cache is one of my faves. I'm a huge Peter Gabriel fan. And uh, Manu Cache played on So, and he played, you yes. know, it's just it, very tasty drumming, yes. you know, this French cat, you know, yes. that's just playing all these, you know, splash cymbal bits. And I'm like, I like that guy. What do you know from Peter Gabriel? And like, is he really going to pull out a Peter Gabriel song? Well, we did. We played In Your Eyes, and I, wow. you know, we crushed it. And I, I don't know if it was the first time he played it, but it was certainly the first time I played it in a, in a, in a bar or in club, you know, thing. Oh, nice. And, um, 
we may have played one or two more together. And uh, I went back to my seat, back to my martini, and he came back up and said, do you want to play Wednesday nights from here on out? Because my other drummer, you know, uh, Jeff Trudell, who's uh, an amazing drummer and and plays with a lot of big names, he goes out on the road and, and right. you know, there's an open spot on just Wednesday nights out of the two nights. So I started doing, maybe, I think I started doing Thursday nights, come to think of it. Doesn't matter. Either way, I was playing once a week with Laith Alsadi at Goodnight Gracie's, and we proceeded to play there for like eight years. Wow. <laughs> and that's when you really hone your craft, wow. man, as a live band that's just like, there was never any set lists. Wow. There was never any, like, you know, so prep. It's fun. Uh, it was a little, it was, it was rough at first. Real? I'll be totally okay. honest. Uh, Lath had a reputation for going through a lot of drummers. Uh, he was very, very tough on his drummers. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about that, even though I was on, on the raw end of some, some onstage, like, ass reamings, for lack of a better term. It's like, wow, this guy's crushing me right now. Just screaming on at me. On stage. On stage. Like Ray Charles, kind of. Oh, man. You know, did Ray do that? Yeah. Watch my foot. Oh, Yeah. Headstock, watch my and, and just like yeah. you know, whiplash. Yes. Yes. Not my tempo. Yeah. Not my tempo. I'm like, he did everything but throw a symbol at my head. 